How many are ready for the word? We're going to talk about cardboard crowns. Y'all ready for your Burger King crown? Huh? Burger King crowns. Let's, get, let's, let's just start with the word from 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture today. Are you okay just hearing scripture? Sometimes just hearing the scripture is all the preaching you need to do, but I'll, I'll add a little bit. He says, Timothy, in the presence of our great God and our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is destined to judge both the living and the dead by the revelation of his kingdom, I solemnly instruct you to proclaim the word of God and stand upon it no matter what. Rise to the occasion and preach when it is convenient and when it is not. Let's, let's dumb that down. Come to church when it's convenient or when it's not. We could at least do that. Oh, Jesus. If you're sick, wear a mask. <clears throat> preach in the full expression of the Holy Spirit with wisdom and patience as you instruct and teach the people. For the time is coming when they will no longer listen and respond to the healing words of truth because they will become selfish and proud. How many believe we're right there right now? They will seek out teachers with soothing words that line up with their desires, saying just what they want to hear. Mm -hmm. They will close their ears to the truth and believe nothing but fables and myths. Oh, we're there. So, be alert to all these things and overcome every form of evil. Carry in your heart the passion of your calling as a church planner and evangelist and fulfill your ministry calling. And now the time is fast approaching for my release from this life. And I am ready to be offered as a sacrifice. I have fought an excellent fight. I have finished my full course. Mm. Wow. I've kept my heart full of faith. There's a crown, say a crown, of righteousness waiting in heaven for me. Is there one waiting for you? And I know that my Lord will reward me on his day of righteous judgment. And this crown is not only waiting for me, but for all who love and long for his unveiling, his revealing. So Paul is near the end of his life, and he's becoming a bit reflective. He's getting ready to pass the baton to the next generation. And he's saying someone's got to pick it up. Someone's got to do the work. Someone said the, the best definition of success, how do you know that you're successful? The best definition of, a su of success is to have a successor. As I speak, there's about 15 of our people that are in full-time ministry that are preaching the word right now all over the country. 15 have come out of this church. And that's not counting those of you that stayed. And are preaching the word. Amen. He said, I, I fought a good fight. I ran the race. King James, he says, the time of my departure. That word departure in the Greek is actually a nautical term. It refers to ships that are at the pier and they throw the ropes off and they get ready to go on a journey. 
that kind of departure. I'm getting ready to get on the good old gospel ship and go home to be with Jesus. But I can't leave until I know that the next generation has, has picked up the baton and is ready to keep running the race. And here we are 2,000 years later. Come on. He said, I fought a good fight. I ran the race. Great metaphors for ministry of getting in a fight and winning it and running a race and winning the race. In ancient times when you would win one of these, you know, the marathons, the Greek Olympics way back then, they would give you a crown, but the crown was made of, uh, you know, they called it the laurel crown, and it was made of leaves. How many know after a few weeks those leaves would dry out and there wouldn't be much left of the crown anymore but a memory? Hmm. But Jesus says, I've got a crown for you. And it's not made of leaves and it's never going to dry up and it's never, that you're going to have that crown for all eternity. <laughs> he said, Well, what, what's the crown for? First of all, let me tell you what it's not for. It's not just because you got saved. There's going to be people in heaven that are saved without a crown. Do you really want to walk around heaven without a crown? Oh, I got your attention now. You know, some of you are just like, oh, if I could just make it in by the skin of my teeth. Listen, I don't want to barely get into heaven. I, I don't want to just sneak into heaven. I, I don't want to just get by down here. Amen. I want to go right through the middle of the gate. I want Jesus to meet me at the gate and say, Enter thou into the joy of the Lord, thou good and faithful servant. Give him a praise if you're with me on this. Amen. So what is the crown of righteousness for? When we say righteousness, is it a holiness crown? Is it because you lived a perfect life? None of us would have a crown. Well, two or three of you. You were just born saved, I know. <laughs> no, no, the, the crown's not for salvation. The crown represents the works that you did. Hmm. Some of us are going to have a Burger King crown. But some of us will have the crown of righteousness. This crown is actually earned. <laughs> and it's earned by good works. Now, here, here's the problem we have in the church. How many times have I preached, almost, almost every message that comes out, that you're not saved by good works? Because the world has it in their head, I'm better than so-and-so, so I'm going to heaven. And, and as long as we keep comparing ourselves, we always think, I'm good enough, I'm good enough. Well, you're not good enough. You don't go to heaven because of good works. And we preach that and we preach that, and then people get saved, and they sit in the pew and say, well, I'm done with that. You didn't get saved by good works, but if you're truly saved, there's going to be some good works. No, and not good works so he'll like you more. 
No, he can't love you any more than he is. No, no, we do good works because of his good works. We do good works because we're in love with Jesus. We do good works because we're, we're, we're in there with him. As he's working, we work. Amen. We work for the kingdom of God, not to gain favor, but because we love the Lord and we're thankful for what he's done for us. Are you getting what I'm saying here? Amen. We preach that, you know, good works are not for salvation so much. People are afraid to do good works. Listen, watch this saying. We are not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. Good works before you're saved are useless. Being a good person will not get you there. You could do all kinds of good works, but it's not going to get you saved. But after you're saved, you're shooting for a crown. How many are shooting for a crown? 1 Corinthians chapter 3 explains how this works. We are co-workers with God, and you are God's cultivated garden. The house he is building, he's building this house. God has given me unique gifts as a skilled master builder who lays a good foundation. Afterward, another craftsman comes and builds on it. Amen? So builders beware. Let every builder do his work carefully according to God's standards. For no one is empowered to lay an alternative foundation other than the good foundation that exists, which is Jesus Christ. Here it is. Watch this. The quality. Say the quality. The quality of materials used by anyone building on this foundation will soon be made apparent. Whether it was built with gold, silver, costly stones, or wood, hay, and straw. What kind of building are you building? Their work will soon become evident for the day, capital D, will, de- will make it clear, the day of judgment, because it will be revealed by blazing fire. We will walk through the fire. And the fire will test and prove the workmanship of each builder. Am I making you all nervous? Good. If his work stands the test of fire, he will be. Do I need to say it again? If your work stands the test, you will be rewarded. Does that mean some people will be in heaven without reward? Yes. (laughs) I know no one's preaching this, but I'm going to preach this. Yet he himself will barely escape destruction, like one being rescued out of a burning house. Can you get the picture? You're in your pajamas. You grab one photo album, (laughs) you've lost your clothes, you've lost your house, you've lost your books, you've lost your possessions, you've lost everything. It's it's cold outside, you're standing out there, it's snowing, and there you are in your pajamas. I hope you dressed well for night. You're sitting there in your pajamas watching your house burn away. That's the picture he's trying to paint of some people when they go to heaven. I don't want to go in my pajamas. I want to go to heaven with the full armor on. The full armor of God. 
Our works will be judged. Rewards will be awarded. And by the way, there's no participation trophy, snowflakes. Nowadays, everyone gets the same trophy. All you have to do is show up. Well, there's not a crown of righteousness for just showing up in heaven. Wow. Jesus is not politically correct. We don't gain salvation or approval by works, but works are a sign that we've been saved. James says, faith without works is dead. It dies if there's no works. Now, Jesus best illustrates this. Some of this is teaching, okay? Are you okay? So Jesus illustrates this, right, at the Last Supper, and there's a day of preparation. Here's the thing about uh, the Jews. Whenever they would have a Sabbath on Saturday, Friday was called the day of preparation. And they would spend most of the day getting ready for the Sabbath. I think we should, our Saturday should be a, a day of preparation for Sunday. That means get all your stuff done so you're not doing it on the Sabbath. So you could be in church. That is still one of the Ten Commandments. That's the one we break all the time. Matthew 21, verse 1. So th this is the day of preparation. So watch this preparation as we get ready for this. Now, as they were approaching Jerusalem, they arrived at the place of the stables near the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of his disciples ahead saying, As soon as you enter the village, you will find a donkey tethered along with her young colt. Untie them both and bring them to me. And if anyone stops you and asks, What are you doing? Just tell them, The Lord of all, the Master has need of them, and he will let you take them. <laughs> oh, I love this scripture. First of all, notice that Jesus, I'm talking about preparation. I'm talking about getting ready to do great things for God. Now, understand this. Jesus sees where you are. He's in one city. The colt's in another little town. But he sees the colt tied up. I love that because there's the donkey and the colt. And, it's, and, and it means a couple things. It's kind of like the Old Testament and the New Testament. But can I also say that it's like the older generation and a younger generation. He didn't say the donkey was tied up. He said the colt was tied up. We're in a situation where we're, we're trying to minister to a younger generation, and it's tied up. This world has it tied up, tied up in their, in their head, in their thinking. Amen. They, they don't think that religion or God's the way to go, and they're tied up. But Jesus sees you this morning. Amen. You may feel hindered. You may feel tied up, but he sees you. He may seem like he's in another town, but he sees you right where you are. He sees you tied. In fact, some of us older people might still be tied up. I came by to tell you today that he's about to loose some colts in this place. Come on and praise him if you want to get loose. <laughs> Even if you can't see the future, he sees the future. Even if you don't see where you're going to go, he knows where you're going to go. He wanted to release the colt. Why? Because he has need of him. You know why God's going to heal you this morning? Because he has need of you. 
You know why he's going to set you free this morning? Because he has need of you. You know why he's going to deliver you? Because he has need of you. Oh, preacher, you can't be talking to me. Yes, I'm talking to you. Fist bump your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. <laughs> Colt, I guess it's better than being the donkey. Or the King James version of the donkey. <laughs> yeah, it's in the Bible. I could say it. And, uh, I'm going to let it go, though. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it go. Wow, 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 wow. He sees your future. Anybody ever feel like Job 23? Listen to it. How many know the story of Job? How many feel like Job sometime? How many feel like Job this morning? Just raise your hand. He said, look, I go forward, but he's not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. Perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. But that's not the end of the story. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Didn't Paul just preach that? My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have tre treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. In other words, I've given him priority. I can't see him ahead. I can't see him behind. I can't see him to my left, right. I just don't perceive him anywhere, but I'm going to keep walking. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep moving. Don't know where I'm going. Don't know where he is sometimes, but I made up my mind. Hallelujah. I'm going to get on this ship. I'm going to roll the boat, and I'm going to move. Amen. I believe if I'll just move, God will go with me. Amen. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, but you've got to walk. Come on, lift up a prayer. Give him a 30-second crazy praise. Woo! Hallelujah! Sometimes we feel all tied up, but I came by to tell you today he's going to loose you. He will loose you because he has need of you. That's why we sometimes get right back in. Because he sets us free, but we don't do what he tells us to do. So then you kind of, am I right? You don't do what he tells you to do, and you tend to fall right back in it. And just like Charity said, it's worse the second time. We're even worse the third time. Fourth, fifth, fifth sixth. Come on now. So then, after he gets the colt, you know he rides in. I gotta hurry there, but all the preparations were made for the dinner. Does anyone know why they actually gathered for the Lord's Supper? To celebrate what? Passover. They were there to celebrate something God did in the past. Whew. But Jesus, in the middle of the meal, shifted on them. Oh, come on, church. He shifted. They were there for one reason. But everything changed in the middle of that meal. We just celebrated communion. We weren't remembering the Passover. 
He broke bread. He, went, he ate the same food that they always ate for a Passover meal. But watch this. you got to watch this. He said, from now on, don't do this in remembrance of Moses and what he did. Don't just do it in remembrance, remembrance of something God did in your past, although that's good. He said, from now on, do this. Oh, I feel God. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Church, I wish I had time this morning to give you kind of a history lesson of all the religions in the world, how Christianity is completely different from every other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world is focused on the past. They have little gods. I mean, you can even, I mean, you can even talk about uh, about uh, Allah, you know, they had only one God, but he, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't that much either. He didn't have a son that died for us. People today are blaming Christianity for the problems. No, 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 no. The reason we are in the state, the reason we are, are, are <laughs> oh, I wish I had time. Universities were created by Christians. Science was created by Christians. Amen. I, I, I don't see the Chinese doing a whole lot of science back then. They didn't have much in India. Even the Muslims didn't do much. much but it was the Christians. Why? Because every other religion was backward-looking, but Christianity was forward-looking. Come on, I just summarized all of history in just a few words. All other religions were backwards-looking, but Christianity had hope. Christianity asked questions. Christianity engaged the mind. Christianity uh, 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 challenged people to be more than they are. When Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, it wasn't just talking about the meal. He wasn't even just talking about the cross because he's alive today. Do this in remembrance of me right now because I am in the midst. Now they blame Christianity for all the... No, no, you know what the problem is? They kick God out of the schools. They kick God out of government. They kick God out of our communities and everything's unraveling and they want to blame us. No, it's not our fault. It's, you, it's your fault for kicking us out. Bring God back into the schools, and we'll see this country change like we've never seen before. Amen. Oh, Jesus. Come on, praise him. If you at least praise him in that. Amen. Now, watch this. He illustrates it. He illustrates what this is. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And what does he do? To illustrate what the kingdom looks like now. Wow. You know, when people say, I want something to, I want them to remember me. Hmm. They build a building and put their name on it. Trump. They talk about a legacy. They'll have a, they'll they'll do a foundation and put their name on it. Name streets after them. I mean, they do all kinds of stuff so that their name would be there. So what did Jesus do about his legacy? How is he going to keep the legacy alive? (laughs) 
I, I mean, his, his name's... <laughs> we got jewelry now, but you know what? It's a cross. We remember Jesus on a cross. You know what the legacy was? You know what the legacy was? He grabbed a towel and got down and began washing their feet. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's your legacy? That's your legacy? You're going to wash feet? And then he says, you do it as I've done it, you do it. And if you'll do it, great joy will come into your life. Oh, I cannot describe how strong I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He washes their feet. Oh, we, can, we could preach about foot washing and what that all means and you know, wh- whether or not we do the actual foot washing. It's, it's, it's symbolic of what, it, of what it means because, listen, church, I don't care how holy you think you are. We all walk through the same dirt. We all see the same stuff. We all hear the same junk. Amen. You can't help but pick up some dirt as you go through this world. Amen. And notice he didn't say, I want you to wash your feet. He said, I want you to wash each other's feet. Why would he call us to wash each other's feet? Because in the act of love, in the act of actually washing somebody's feet, amen, not only do their feet get clean, but in the process we, wa- we get our hands clean. Who can come into the presence of God? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, there's something something forgiving in loving one another. There's something forgiving. There's something powerful when we embrace one another and love one another and accept one another in spite of what we've done to each other. Romans 12, let the inner movement of your heart always be to love one another and never play the role of an actor wearing a mask. Despise evil. Embrace everything that is good and and virtuous. Be devoted to tenderly loving your fellow believers as members of one family. Try to outdo yourselves in respect and honor of one another. Be enthusiastic to serve the Lord, keeping your passion toward Him boiling hot, radiating with the glow of the Holy Spirit. Let Him fill you with excitement as you serve Him instead of grumbling and complaining. Let this hope burst within you, releasing a continual joy. You know what the problem with Christians today? They're not happy. They're not joyful. Don't give up in a time of trouble. But commune with God at all times. Take a constant interest in the needs of God's beloved people and respond by helping them. Oh, my God. Eagerly welcome people as guests into your home. Who does that anymore? Speak blessing, not cursing over those who reject. Remember we talked about blessing and cursing? When you push someone away, you're cursing them. Oh. 
celebrate with those who celebrate and weep with those who grieve. Live happily together in a spirit of harmony and be as mindful of another's worth as you are your own. Don't live with a lofty mindset thinking you are too important to serve others. But be willing to do menial tasks and identify with those who are humble-minded. Don't be smug or even think for a moment that you know it all. Whoo! Those who didn't clap are offended. Never. Because you know it all. Never never hold a grudge or, or try to get even. But plan your life around the noblest way to benefit others. Do your best to live as everybody's friend. Beloved, don't be obsessed with taking revenge. But leave that to God's righteous uh, justice. For the scripture says, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. And if your enemy is hungry, buy him lunch. Win him over with kindness, for your surprising, surprising generosity will awaken his conscience, and God will reward you with favor. Never let evil defeat you, but defeat evil with good. Is that a powerful word? Who needs to preach when you got that? Second Timothy 4 again, right? I can't impress this on you too strongly. God is looking over your shoulder, Timothy. Christ himself is the judge with the final say on everyone, living and dead. He is about to break open. Say, break open. Break into the open with his rule. So proclaim the message with intensity. Keep on your watch. Challenge. Warn. Urge your people. Don't ever quit. Just keep it simple. You're going to find that there will be times when people will have no stomach for solid teaching, but, but will fill up on spiritual junk food. Catchy opinions that tickle their fancy. They'll turn their backs on truth and chase mirages. But you, keep your eye on what you're doing. Accept the hard times along with the good. Keep the message alive. Do a thorough job as God's servants. You take over. I'm about to die. My life and offering on God's altar. This is the only race worth running. I've run hard right to the finish. Believed all the way. All that's left now is the shouting. God's applause. Depend on it. He's an honest judge. He'll do right not only by me, but by everyone eager for his coming. It's time to take the baton. But how, how many know how that, how that race is done? And, and, but the race is run, what is it, four guys usually? Is it 400 meter? Depends on the race. Well, this race, too. So it doesn't matter how fast I run. The other guys have to run. It's not just about how fast I run. You need to pick up the baton. You need to run. And as we go, I'm passing it on to a younger generation. Let's run the race that's set before us. I fought the good fight. I ran the race. What Paul is saying is, they whipped me, but I didn't quit. I was in the, I had three ships shot out from under me, but I didn't quit, amen. They lied about me, but I didn't quit, amen. Everything was thrown at me, but I never quit. I ran the race. You got to run, it hurt sometimes, but I ran the race. I finished the course. No cardboard crowns, a crown of life because you finished the course. You got on that good old gospel ship, 
and you're never going back.